made in the UK for MSPs around the world. This is Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Hello and welcome to an MSP Marketing Podcast special. It's always good to hear other people's stories and to hear how other people have made it, especially when they're building up a business that's just like yours. And I'm joined today by a very special guest from the States to tell us how he built up his business. This is an MSP Marketing Podcast Special. Hi, my name is uh, David Darmstandler. I'm the CEO and co-founder of an MSP and MSSP uh, Datapath. And thank you very much for joining me for this special, David. So I want to explore today your story. I want to explore how you've built up the business, uh, what the challenges have been on the way. And then in particular, there are two aspects that I want to examine because I think these are fascinating aspects that will affect a lot of MSPs. One of them is that transition from being an MSP to being an MSSP. And we'll come on to that later on. And also, I know you've acquired couple of businesses on the way. And I think it would be useful to look at how you did that, what the pitfalls are, and how you can position your MSP to be acquired by someone else or go out and acquire an MSP yourself. So give us the overview of your business. Tell us when you started, what it was like in the first few years, and and sort of bring us up to date today in terms of where your offices are, how many staff you've got, that kind of thing. Datapath is, well, it's 15 years old as of last month. We started um, June 2005. Not the um, best time to to start, just with the fact that we had a recession that kind of kicked off, um, at least in you know in California here around that time. But um, we know we started off as really uh, an hourly break fix IT solutions provider. So um, a good buddy of mine, James Bates, um, had already started as a sole proprietor doing IT consulting, and we him and I had been friends since the third grade, and we'd been talking about starting some together, and we you know formed DataPath and. The recession hit, and in a lot of ways, it ended up kind of being a positive for us. People were laying off their IT departments, unfortunately, and we were able to come in and kind of just do hourly work. So we started off with you know a pretty low rate, and soon after, we uh, kind of developed you know what we didn't know was managed services, but we created a couple different plans. You know that was 15 years ago, so you know it was a lot of education to customers about what managed services was, why they needed it. Completely different time in IT. You know, fast forward to today and. It's obviously, you know, it's very rare that you have to educate customers what managed services is. They understand. Pretty scrappy. You know, we were just um, actually we're in the middle of building our new headquarters now in, in uh, you know, here in, in Modesto, California. And, you know, we were looking at old pictures of when we started and we had a hundred square foot office. And, you know, we had a, you know, a, a little like dorm room fridge with servers stacked on it. And, you know, we, we'd grown to five people and you can even have all the people in the office. People were making phone calls from the hallway and, so it was just, um, you know, true kind of just gritty startup. And um, the last few years, uh, you know, even though we've been around 15 years, we've done a couple acquisitions the last few years. Been buying other MSPs uh, up and down California. So we just uh, finished another transaction in Southern California. So we now have offices. We have a headquarters in Modesto, California. We have a, another office in Central California in Fresno. And we also have uh, most recently an office in Orange County um, in Irvine, California. You know, in the last four years or so, we also transitioned to being an MSSP. So we developed an actual security practice. And so we've been, you know, layering on those security services when we purchase these other firms, you know, throughout the state. 
What are the things that you think have made the biggest difference to you over the last 15 years? Because you've achieved quite a lot. I mean, how many how many employees do you have at the moment? So we're a team of uh, just above 60. Okay, so I mean, that's that's a that's a fair leap in 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 15 years. And what would you say have been the most important things to you over the over the years in terms of achieving that growth? Our mission here, and it took some time to really figure out what that was, even though we were doing it already, was. We really want to see people come up. We really want to improve the communities that we live in. Um, and we say see people come up. You know, my partner and I both came from nothing, right? So I, I grew up as a poor kid and kind of, you know, community government housing almost. And he grew up pretty poor himself. So we love to be able to help people that work hard, that are you know smart, that really want to make something of themselves. We want to be part of their success. And so realizing that and building great company cultures and finding great people that we want to work alongside and with um, both on the client side and, you know, as a team, I think has really made the biggest difference. I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but really it was bad clients and bad team members can suck a lot of your time, right? So, you know, the ability to work with great people on both ends, whether it be a customer or whether it be a team member, and it really, you know, and even firing bad customers has, you know, really allowed us to, to speed up our growth and focus on, you know, where we're going as an organization. So, you know, that's definitely one part of it. Um, and then obviously, you know, there's a lot of other things that have happened over the years, but, you know, just um, developing that team and really narrowing down what we do. So I think a lot of MSPs struggle, at least, you know, the guys I know with doing everything under the sun. And it's just, it builds, you know, builds even confidence in your customers when you say, Hey, we don't do that, but you know, we know some firms that do, we can recommend them or, or we just stray away from those things that we're not experts in, um, has allowed us to really accelerate growth. To sustain 60 employees and presumably the, the hundreds and hundreds of clients that you must have and thousands of end users, there must've been a point where you got really serious about sales and marketing. Can you sort of pinpoint when that happened? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, I would say the first three years or so was, you know, primarily, in fact, wholly word of mouth. I would say, you know, following that, we started to realize we needed to do a little bit of outbound. And so, you know, we obviously had a website, some other things we started to kind of creep into some social because social was pretty new then. Um, I would say probably about year five or so, we got a little bit more serious. And, you know, by about year seven, we had hired a, you know, marketing staff. And it's a big part of, you know, what we do now. So we're big on particularly digital marketing, but, you know, uh, also just ensuring that from kind of beginning to end, the customer has a, a good experience with your, your marketing and your branding. And there's a lot of different ways that you can lose a customer in the process, right? Whether they are just visiting your site for the first time or whether it's in the sales process where you're, you know, too slow to get back to them or you're, you know, your, what you're trying to sell them isn't clear to them or your stuff looks horrible that you're presenting, right? So, there's a lot of things in that circle of the sales process from beginning to end as far as when it comes to marketing that we really tried to and we continue to tweak all the time. That's a very big part of our business. I think it really has set us apart when you, you know, and I've heard you say this on your podcast, but when you go to the sites and literally, I think I've seen the same stock image used on every single IT website, MSP website, you know, it's this one with like, you know, zeros and ones in the background and a girl on a computer. And it's like, yeah, I know if, I see, <laughs> if I see one more, I'm just going to like, you know, really trying to, you know, I think what we've done well is humanizing our brand and showing faces because that's who we are. And so that's, that's been a huge part of, um, I think our success as, as an organization is, 
is just helping people. It's one thing when they're you know talking with the tech, but when they can actually see that that tech space, especially now with the environments we're working in, right, with COVID and that person's more than likely not going to come on site for simple things just due to due to risk. I think that's been a you know a, a big part of you know our success is you know continuing to to remain human. And when I say human, I mean like you know showcasing those team members that we've that have been with us this whole time and have really come up in their careers to you know what we're doing in the communities that we're that we live and and work in. Now looking at the management of the business, I I'm going to make the assumption that you're well-managed, that you're well-organized. And I make that assumption because in the conversations we've had before this podcast and today, you seem quite relaxed. You know, you're not you're not as time pressured as, as uh, some people would be. And I'm guessing that there's a good management structure in place. I think a business with 60 employees would fall over very quickly if it didn't have that, that good management structure in place. When was the point at which you realized you had to get serious about not just managing your staff, but actually leading your staff and setting up an infrastructure and making sure that every single person was being developed and had the opportunity to grow? I guess maybe from the beginning, my partner and I really always had that mindset, right? We're reading a lot of books. We have mentors. And, you know, about, you know, five years in, we hired a business coach. So someone that had done um, some pretty amazing things and really helped us to uh, think through our structure and help us get out the, you know, day in, day out. I mean, he even went to the point where he made us log every 15 minutes of our day. So if I was using the restroom, I might probably put too much information in there for him because he would, you know, send back, you know, he would, he would be laughing when he would respond. Um, he's like, I really don't need to know what you did with, you know, with your spouse. But no, I mean, I think overall, um, you know, that really, even myself looking at my day and going, gosh, what, what am I doing? Right. I'm not even focusing on the things I'm best at. I'm not focusing on the things that are most important. I'm really just reacting all the time. So there's no strategic proactive work. And so about, you know, five years in, we started to kind of really identify areas organizationally that, you know, were struggling or needed more direction or regular supervision. Looking at today, we have a management structure. We have, you know, organizational units. We have, um, you know, regular check-ins, one-on-ones with every employee, career paths, all these things that are, are impossible to do if as the owner of the MSP, you're doing all of it. Working with customers, managing finance to, you know, I've seen some of these, these threads on, on, the, on, your, on your Facebook group. I mean, it's a lot, right? I mean, I saw one, I think yesterday, they were saying, you know, who's ready to throw in the towel? I remember those days, right? Because I was managing finance, I was managing customer relationships, I was, I was the voice engineer, I was the, you know, the guy dealing with the server outage. I think what we did well was, you know, we continued to not pay ourselves what we should have, and we would make big investments into those leaders that we needed. Whether that was people that we raised up internally, but oftentimes those that, you know, as we got to a certain size, we had to bring in from the outside. You know, I think that was really what's helped us to, you know, get to that next stage. And there was always these pain points, right? So you'd get to five employees and there was a big leap you had to make. There was 10 employees that make, you know, there was a big leap. You, you get to 20 or 30 and you, you get stuck there for a little while just due to cash flow or it's risk, right? Every one of these big decisions or these, these, uh, these managers you bring on, it's, it's expensive, right? Um, and sometimes they don't work out, which is even worse. It was really just about making those leaps um, and doing it with faith that it was gonna it was gonna pay off, and that you know we'd kind of framed out what the problem was and what we expected as a return when we you know made those decisions. I think that 
that made a big difference in kind of continuing to propel our, bro- our growth each year. So you mentioned a couple of times that it was about five years in, so I guess around about 2010, when you started getting serious about your sales and marketing, you started getting serious about your management. Was this a formal decision? Did you guys decide, right, we want to be big, we want to grow, we want to be well-organized, we don't want to be the guys doing everything in forever? Or was it just something that you fell into? As you say, it was just a case of, well, we needed to do this, we needed to do that, and then suddenly we had 20 employees, so we needed to do that. I guess I'm asking, was was there a driving factor or, or was it just being an organic thing? No, it was definitely a driving factor. I mean, I distinctly remember, you know, kind of around that time that, you know, we took our team that we had at the time and that was engineers and you mean all kinds of, you know, we were pretty small, right? And we went and we rented this room in this pretty, you know, we let the person that <laughs> was kind of overseeing some of the finances make the decision where we were doing the meeting, which was a bad decision because she picked like the cheapest place in town, right? It's like, water pitchers you would not want to drink out of but you know we we uh we, we got this little room in a in a i don't even call it a hotel but a motel or whatever and we spent two days as a team going you know what's wrong where do we want to be where do we want to go and really what we ended up doing first was really defining our values as an organization in that process we always we we, we also defined some you know really just where do we want to where do we see our company in five years what do we all want out of this right i mean the fact that it was not just the two owners in the room doing all this, there's definitely aspects of the business that should just be the ownership defining. But the fact that it was the whole company that had ownership in what was decided and where we're going and how we're going to do it really brought about just a cohesiveness. We used some tools to kind of do that. You know, I think we used the Rockefeller habits on that one. Obviously, you got books like Traction and stuff like that. But you know, really around that time was when we, we kind of framed out Okay, this is what we want to be when we grow up, right? You know, we're this small MSP right now, but we have big ambitions. You know, we want to be national at some point. We want to be international someday. I've heard you talk about, and you know, you and I were even talking about previously. Is like it's it's baby steps, right? You can't just go by next week. I, I want to have you know five more employees and a hundred thousand dollars more in MRR. Um, it doesn't work that way, right? You've got to start to put the stuff in place strategically. Start to put the people in place strategically to really get where you want to go. You have to measure these things. You can't just say, I want to be bigger. You have to say, hey, I want to be bigger. You know, my MR right now is $100,000 a month. I want it to be 125 and I want it to be 125 at the end of 90 days. That gives you a measurable goal that you can find out how far off you are. There's some great books we've used for that as well, some great tools. But I think that's a, a really important part is just making sure that you're honest with yourself in the process. What I love about listening to stories about Google is, you know, they don't let you sandbag, right? I mean, if you you set a goal, it can't be just a standard goal. It has to be a stretch goal of some kind. It has to be something that stretches you personally, stretches your team. I think that's something we've lived by here, and I think it's made a big difference as an organization. This is great stuff. It really is. Now, I want to talk about your transition or your addition of MSSP. So we do talk a lot about data security on this podcast, and I don't think a day goes past in my life, and I suspect the same for most MSPs, where data security isn't the thing. We've we've talked before about how every MSP is eventually going to have to be an MSSP. It's just going to be how things are. It will be the next big, let's not call it a revolution, let's call it an evolution of, of tech support. Can you just start by explaining, just so we're all at the, sort of the same base level, what do you see as the difference between a managed service provider and a managed security service provider? Yeah, so I definitely see some gray area for some MSPs because I see them talking more about security 
and defining themselves as like a security provider, they really need to be careful. I'm concerned about the wave of legal aspects that are coming from MSPs that aren't prepared. You've heard in the news, but it, it is true. It's not about if, it's about when an organization is going to get hacked unless they have the right things in place. I, I definitely would say what I see that's, that is concerning is that you have them saying that they do security, but really it can't be the same team. You know, really the, the true MSSP is managing detection and response to security incidents. And it can't be your team that's doing escalation. It can't be your team that's doing your server projects. You know, you really have to have the right tools in place. They're doing monitoring and our enterprise level tools. You can't go cheap and you can't let your customer go cheap. Because guess what? When, when stuff hits the fan, they're going to be looking at you. If you were to define the differences as an MSP, which is how we define it to customers is... As an MSP, we're responsible for you know your infrastructure, your servers, and it, you know your, your network, endpoint users, help desk issues, things like that. On the MSSP side, we're strictly monitoring and responding to incidents, and that team is separate. They're not involved in any other MSP activities or business at all. You've got specialists, then you've got people who just do what they do, and they're they're on it all day, and they're not having to be distracted by setting up new users. And this ticket hasn't been, you know, finished. All of that kind of stuff. So they're they're just pure, holy security. They're not even in the MSP system anymore. I mean, there's they're not even they're running in a completely different system. They're a separate business unit. They have to be because we cannot have something go wrong there. And it's ethically, it's the right way to do it. And that's kind of goes back to our headquarters here. We're building out, you know, like a 14,000 square foot space that has a network operations center. And the security operations center aspect has to be completely physically separated and has to be darkened and you can't see in there. And, and that's just the technical side and the, the service delivery side. That's not even getting into compliance, right? We're, we are not compliance specialists. We are not going to be the ones doing the compliance aspect to you. We're going to, you know, have some recommendations for you, but we're going to suggest an auditing firm to, you know, make sure customers are also in compliance um, with guidelines that are defendable, right? Like NIST and those kinds of things. That those are defendable because it's the same, you know, framework that the government's using, right? So, and you know, and that's one of the key reasons we made the acquisition down south was, you know, they were a SOC two certified MSP, which is pretty rare. They focus strictly in finance, uh, and we were getting more and more inquiries from finance and banks and those kinds of things. So we wanted to have obviously that industry insight and and, and experience, but also that SOC two compliance is extremely difficult. So it's it is not an easy certification to get. And even if you want to go even further, you know you have this um, you know zero trust, uh, which is also starting to come up. And I I think these are all things that MSPs are going to have to take seriously. So even if you just want to be an MSP. You have to be secure yourself first. And if you're not, because as you, know, you guys, everyone's reading the news, I mean, MSPs are getting hacked. And it's just a matter of time. And I don't mean just technically, I mean socially, right? So we've had social attempts where you know someone's calling, pretending to be a CFO or a senior person, you know, wanting their password reset on a weekend and it's the on-call guy. It's real. It's happening. Your team has to be trained. You have to be doing internal training that's you know actually using tools and and you know, certifying that you're actually training people, you have to, you have to have some security tools internally yourself. So you really have to protect kind of your homeland first when it comes to being an MSP. So even if you decide that you're not MSSP route is not for you, you probably should hire an MSSP to, you know, be monitoring your stuff because it's probably a matter of time for you as well. No matter how technical you think you are, it's, it's happening and it's happening to, you know, we've, 
we have firms in our kind of in this Northern Cal area that we know that, you know, buddies of ours that have been hacked, you know, and their client base got hacked. That to us is like, that's a whole nother part of the conversation, right? Is regardless, MSPs have to become more secure. And as they learn that, you know, they may see some ways that they can train, you know, they can also open up an MSSP side of their business. But I would highly recommend not having people kind of filter between both sides. They really need to have a focus team, which is expensive. It is expensive, but I but I, I imagine it's paying off for you, both in terms of you've got proper services to sell to your existing clients, and you absolutely know that you can deliver them. So I guess you've got a profit center there. But as you say, you've also, in a way, future-proofed your business because you've got people who are completely focused on that. So what was the driving factor for you of, of starting up the MSSP side? Was it simply looking into the future and seeing this is the way we're going? Or again, was it just the, the next evolution for the business? It was. Uh, it took us about a year and a half to get up and going, and so that probably that process probably started five years ago plus. I'd imagine somewhere in there. For me, it was um, it was a couple fold. It was really obviously seeing customers experiencing outages and being hacked, right? So that was one thing. It was just a level of empathy. Uh, the other side to it was as that started to see that we struggled to find anybody that could actually help with these incidents. That was you know kind of like light bulb number one. And then as I just started to do market research, I looked at the growth pattern of security and I went, man, it's, I mean, MSP growth pattern is great, right? It's, it's also very healthy. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that market. It's going to continue to grow. It's, it's a big need. But the, when you looked at security as a team, we went, man, that is a, that's a rocket ship. It's another part of our business where we're always strategically looking at where's the, where's the biggest kind of pool to be in, right? I don't want to be in a pond anymore. I want to be in like a big ocean of market potential. And whether that's, you know, your industry focus or whether it's the services or solutions you're providing, it makes a big difference when the market's very large and it has, a, it has a high growth rate as opposed to being in something that, you know, first of all, there's too many people in it and it's really difficult to differentiate yourself. This has been a huge differentiator for us as we're going in against MSP, traditional MSPs. We're the only one oftentimes that can, you know, offer both sides, right? So we can offer both the security aspect, you know, and the traditionally MSP, you know, products. That's also big, been a big side of it. But I mean, really, it was just the market potential was kind of what initially attracted us to, you know, getting into the space. Let's talk about acquisitions now, David. So you have, uh, how many businesses have you acquired now? Uh, so two in the past two years. Okay, so we'll come on to some of the factors of, of how you found them and, and the deals you did. And I'm not going to ask you to disclose anything confidential, of course. But what was it that drove you to do these acquisitions? The first one was uh, really that we knew we wanted to grow and we wanted to grow into this particular region, which was the first one we did was Fresno, California. You know, had very little competition large market, you know, it's roughly a million people in the greater Fresno area. Um, and there was a maybe two providers, three providers, right, that we consider you know, competition. So we actually had in a smaller area where our headquarters is, we have, we, have, we have more competitors and less people. We had tried things in the past, you know, two or three years in, we had actually had an office in Texas, actually, because we, we got a big contract down there with a big customer. It was kind of a managed service contract. We decided to put an office there, like a little satellite office. And we thought, oh man, we'll get this one contract. We'll hire a sales guy, have an engineer. We'll just, you know, we're going to grow this Texas area. Well, we learned a lot of lessons. Being able to drive to something is very different than getting on a plane and flying for four hours, right? And having to get a hotel room. And I mean, all the different things you have to do when you are flying somewhere. You know, we had no core management from data path there. It was people we were hiring. So they didn't know our culture. They, you know, they, it's just, it wasn't a disaster. It just was 
it was not, it was a dog, right? It didn't do anything. We didn't get any new accounts. And so we realized this grassroots aspect was difficult to do, right? It was to set up an office, you know, you had expenses, you had those bodies, and then you had essentially zero income. Where with an acquisition, we have a lot more cost because we're, we're buying the organization, but we immediately have some income and we have customers and we can grow that customer base. We can, we can cross sell to those customers. You know, the first one we were, you know, it was, it was all new, right? We read whatever books we could. We talked to people that done acquisitions. We, we tried to prepare ourselves, you know, as best we could, but we, you know, we obviously, you know, obviously learned some things along the way. So great experience. Super thankful for the team that we, you know, were able to acquire in, in Fresno. Um, but it also helped us to know kind of what uh, we were looking for, right? So what kinds of things we would like to see in future acquisitions, whether it be, you know, revenue mix, types of customers, types of contracts, uh, really, you know, team members, kind of the level of management and stuff that we would like um, in future ones. So anyways, that's, you know, kind of how we, that was the initial genesis of, you know, where we started. And where did you find the acquisition targets? We've just really been using consultants. You know, there's a number of consultants out there on the, you know, sell side. You kind of just let them know that you're, you're looking. They will um, kind of be your go-between, right? So the whole um, concept of reaching out yourself to someone, especially if they're like a competitor, trying to buy them, I have not found to be successful, right? It's almost... First of all, you don't know what you're doing. And... You know, secondly, you, you need to uh, really pay good professionals that do this all day long, right? They do these acquisitions and mergers and so forth. So, you know, we depend heavily on those firms. So there's quite a few now that seem to be just focused in MSP space. You know, generally, they're pretty good to work with and they you, know, you can give them some criteria of what you're looking for and um, even geographically and they'll, you know, sometimes help you, you know, target some. You know, that's definitely something that's that's helped. But, you know, definitely on the other side, we do have people reach out. So... We have some that we either know that we're close with that they're in different geographical regions. And so we've had a few that have, you know, reached out even recently that just would like us to look at maybe purchasing them for all kinds of reasons, right? Sometimes it's just personal, that they kind of want to go do something new or they've got some other personal issue going on. There's that kind of stuff. We know what we're looking for. We're looking for some management on those teams and we're looking for people that kind of want to come along with us. We're not we don't just want to buy and kind of shed bodies. We want to actually buy and grow those regions and grow together as a team. So it's a very narrow type of target that we're looking for that, you know, there's, you know, there's not as many of those for sure. There's a lot of guys, they're kind of coming of age that, you know, maybe want to get out, but, you know, we're looking for some that have some management on them for sure. And in terms of the deals that you struck, and I'm not going to ask you to reveal figures, David, but what kind of deals in terms of payment did you do? So was it all cash up front? Uh, was it uh, any kind of shares in your business? How much did you, you know, what percentage did you pay on day one versus um, deferred income, et cetera? Most of the deals I've seen in the MSP space, there are there are more cash ones happening. They seem to be happening at a, at a discount um, by what I've seen. So you know, they might give you, um, you know, multiple of your EBITDA, um, basically your profit. So, it, it, you know, it depends on our side. You know, ours is a combination of, of cash and, um, you know, earn out for, for the actual sellers. And again, it's a case-by-case basis, right? So whatever you'll see them on, you know, in articles and stuff where some, you know, some company got bought for X amount, but the deal structure can be mixed up in a lot of different ways to where, there may be a, a greater benefit to the seller to delay some of the income and stuff like that for tax reasons and those kinds of things. So, but generally at at the sizes that we're doing deals, which is kind of that you know one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a month in MRR, 
or even a hundred we would you know entertain, but up to you know two or three hundred thousand dollars a month in MRR. You know, those are oftentimes just a uh, a combination of you know cash, some form of carry, and 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 you know some form of earnout. And a lot of that has to do with more just with the fact that sometimes there's question marks on the actual MRR or the contracts themselves with those customers, or you get data that the customers aren't super happy. So there's a risk that they may just go away um, or they make up a lot of their MRR, right? So you have a heavily weighted customer where they're making up 20% of that company's MRR. So if that, you know, customers to go away, it's kind of scary for all the bodies you're employing there in that office. So we, we call those whales. I don't know if you call them whales as well. Yeah, I mean, they're not, you know, again, I get it. We're not, you're not going to turn that business away, right? I mean, somebody comes to you and offers you a substantial contract compared to what, you know, maybe you have existing um, or maybe that you've had them for a long time. So, you know, and definitely there's some things that I think can bring value for MSPs. I think it's a good process just to maybe research due diligence um, and, and get an idea of what people are looking for um, or what, you know, buyers are looking for. Then also ask themselves like whether they want to stick around. But I mean, there's some basic things that we're not seeing in some MSPs. You know, we're not we're not seeing CSAT data. I mean, we're not seeing the data from the customers as to like whether they're happy with the service. You know, that affects how you look at the contracts, right? So, you know, for instance, if they're on a month-to-month contract or an annual contract, we find it's more difficult oftentimes to get people on these three-year contracts just because it's hard to get a customer, especially right now with COVID, right? Just sign three years of of an agreement. But you know, you're telling the buyer, yeah, all my customers are happy, but you have no data to support that. You know, you have no idea whether you know, and you also just um, you know, response time to tickets. Uh, you know, how long it takes you to resolve tickets? Do you have a bunch of stale tickets? Um, all that to us is signs that your customers, you may think they're happy, but they're actually thinking about leaving. So there's a lot of different stuff like that as you kind of go on. Now that we're two deals in, and 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 this is our plan is to continue, right? So we want to continue to acquire MSPs and want to do that throughout kind of West Coast here in the United States. And uh, we're looking for good people to you know join us in that, you know, managers and leaders. And what I love about it is it's we always learn in these acquisitions too, right? It's not one way, right? Where uh, it's the data pathway and we know how to do everything. It's like it's so great to see smaller MSPs doing something way better than we do it and going, man, that's a great idea. We should totally do that, right? So, that's so cool. So what were some of the mistakes that you made in the first two acquisitions, which you learned from and you know you won't repeat in the, the third, fourth, fifth acquisitions? Not valuing culture was a big one. Not having more time in that company we're going to acquire in their office, getting to know people, understanding more about them and how they operate and kind of like the culture of the company because... That is way more difficult to change than changing products or services or you know a contract or what tool you're using or whatever. That was a painful one because that ends up just eating a lot of your time. So making sure that you know the the companies that we're we are uh, looking at as targets, you know, have have values, um, you know, whether they're spoken or unspoken, but hopefully spoken and written down somewhere was it was a big part. You know, I think some of the other things was just. Obviously, looking closer at the accounts that, you know, the types of accounts they had. A lot of MSPs have a lot of these really tiny contracts and accounts that are really difficult to keep profitable. You know, they kind of have these contracts where they're just watching backups for people or they're just doing like network monitoring. It's kind of stuff that was, I would say it's um, legacy stuff that hasn't been switched over. They haven't properly managed these accounts and gone out and said, hey, this like legacy you know, contract that you've had for a decade 
we don't make any money off it and it's not even the right thing for you, but here's the right thing for you. So, you know, you end up doing all the heavy lifting on that stuff um, after you buy it. And so, um, you know, just making sure that you're, you're focused on, you know, I, I would say like what we're looking at is like from learning from these lessons is just, you know, focusing on the MRR, the mix of the MRR, just making sure that like it's, it's kind of a modern MSP design, not something that's like legacy or really more like value added reseller, right? Or like break fix, because we do zero break fix. So it's, you know, even our systems, like we're not set up to manage break fix any longer or, you know, if a customer calls and that's what they want, we just refer them to somebody else because it's just not a model. So we don't want um, to take it away. Yeah, absolutely. So this is an interesting question I've wanted to ask uh, acquiring acquisitive MSPs. What can someone who's listening to this do to their business to make it more appealing to you as an acquirer? Uh, it's a great question. You know, first and foremost, I think it would be stop being a jerk. If you're a jerk, that would be stage one. Stage one. We see a lot of that, right? We see a lot of, I hate to say that, but in MSPs, we see a lot of ultra micromanagers. They really need to start to offload all those things and start to trust people in their organization to, um, because it's really difficult as an acquirer to come in and the owner's doing everything, right? So they're doing the, they're doing the finance, they're doing the account management, they're doing, especially if they want to go away, right? They want to sail off into the sunset. It's really difficult to come over and operate that when everything is, you know, think of it as, as like, you know, a building built on a single pillar, right? Or pole, um, you got the skyscraper, and it's just like this individual pillar at the bottom. It's like I know that they there may be reasons there. Maybe it's a lack of trust for those that work for them. Maybe it's um, they want to. Maybe in some ways they want to feel you know the most important. You know whatever it is, um, start to let some of those things go. Focus on the things they do best. Really start to build up a team that can you know manage you know manage the accounts, can do the finance, can you know make sure that the organization's operating well. That makes it a lot easier to come in and go. Yeah, this is a this is a good target, right? So that's you know, kind of, I would say step one, right? Start to mature, um, or like we say here, data path, like adulting, right? And then obviously there's the basics of you know on the finance side, ensuring that you know you you have contracts that your contracts are good, that your contracts this is a big one that your contracts are actually transferable. So most attorneys or most guys that went and grabbed some online and they don't even look and see that actually the contract says they can't even transfer this to an acquirer. Wow. Um, so you want to make sure that you're, you know, that in there that you are able to transfer that agreement to a new MSP that's buying you, but, you know, and yeah, making sure that they're, you know, your accounts are under contract, they're profitable. You know, that you've gauged how happy your accounts are. They're going to stick around that they're, you know, you're supporting them properly, that you have the metrics to, to show that. You need to watch your utilization level. So you need to you need to know, you know, how utilized is your team, right? So you're paying all these these team members. You know, are they highly utilized? Are they running at 50%? That makes a big difference to your bottom line. You know, the other side is as a team, we wanna we want to come in and acquire someone and not be an uphill battle, you know, fighting customers day one. That's just not where we want to be. We want to come in and have it be like a happy ending, a happy thing, you know, that we're able to continue to take what the vision and what this owner's built and extend it into the future and add the tools and resources behind it. You know, those are a few key things there. But again, like we've talked about earlier, you know, baby steps, it's like you don't just sell, you know, if you weren't preparing to sell your business, you don't just sell it tomorrow. It's the wrong time to sell it. Start having those conversations early. Find out what's wrong with your business that maybe needs to be corrected. Um, set some goals to you know fixing those things. 
realize financially kind of what you're going to walk away with. Because I think sometimes there's some unrealistic expectations. And if you were to turn the table, they would make sense to you like, oh, yeah, I get it. Like I have to, you know, if somebody buys my company, they have to get some kind of return in like a you know reasonable timeline. So I think those are, you know, a, a few aspects of it. I Like I said before, it's I think it's a level of maturity in the individual and oftentimes in the organization that can make the MSP more attractive, even if they're smaller. You know, on the other side too, I'd say is a lot of times we see um, really flat growth and that can be scary, right? So that means that their churn is maybe large. So they're losing accounts a lot. Um, or it could also mean that they're just not getting new accounts. So that could be a number of things. Sometimes that can be a signal that they have a bad name in the community. That could be that they don't have a sales engine. Um, they don't have the marketing engine like you always talk about. Those are some can be some flags as well that things that can be worked on by the owners. But I mean, I would say a lot of times you ask an MSP whether they know the answer to basics. Can they tell you how much MRR they even have? Can they tell you how much of that is cloud? How much of that is, you know, security products? You know, did their customers' backups run last night? Do they, what's their churn percentage? You know, there's a lot of things that because they're doing everything, they don't have the time to step back and look at it uh, holistically and really understand their business. Um, They think they understand their business because they're in there in the nuts and bolts of it. But in reality, they're missing the big things. David, this has been just fascinating. I could actually talk to you for hours. There are so many more questions that I could ask you. What I'm going to do, I think, is get you on the podcast again, perhaps next year sometime. It would be great to have you on as a guest. In the meantime, how can people get in touch with you, either perhaps just to connect with you or maybe because they run an MSP on the West Coast and they want to uh, offer offer you uh, a great deal? Uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you and perhaps learn more about your business? I love connecting with MSPs in general, so it's just great to you know connect and get to meet people from you know, all across the world, they're in the same space, but they can reach me through my email, which is david at mydatapath.com. It's M-Y-D-A-T-A-P-A-T-H.com. You can also look me up. I have a very unique name, which is David Darmstandler. So you can find me on LinkedIn and, and message me there. And I can also, you know, for your site, Paul, maybe give you a couple other ways for people to kind of reach out to me directly. I'm more than happy just to even put my phone number out there if people want to give me a buzz. I'm a pretty open guy and responsive as long as people aren't trying to, you know, sell me something, but... Um, never put your phone number on a podcast. That, that never, ever ends well. Trust you on that <laughs> No, we'll, I, I, yeah, it's 911. We'll, no, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll, stick, we'll stick with the email address and the LinkedIn. Um, David, thank you so much. Uh, I was going to wish you good luck with the business. You don't need luck. You, you sound like you make your own luck in life, which the most successful people do. So thanks again for coming on the show. No, thank you, Paul. And I really appreciate what you're doing. It's a tremendous asset to our industry. And I, and, uh, I love listening to your podcast. So keep doing what you're doing. Coming up next week. The podcast's back to its normal format next week, and we're going to be looking at how to make sure your marketing is talking to the correct part of someone's brain. Because yes, you can get it wrong and talk to the part of their brain that doesn't really make buying decisions. We've also got an interview with James Vickery from Benchmark 365, one of the companies that you can outsource your tech support to. And we're starting a new series with a whole load of book recommendations from experts both in our world and outside our world. That's all happening next week. See you then. Made in the UK for MSPs around the world. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast.